Welcome to the On Centerline podcast, a show where we discuss the trials and tribulations of learning to fly from both the student and flight instructor perspectives. We feature real aviators in all different chapters of their careers, talking about the things we all deal with but rarely discuss. So join us as we take on the challenges, hardships, and celebrations that pave the runway to being a professional aviator as we strive to stay on centerline. Hey everybody, welcome to the On Centerline podcast. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam and uh, I'm a flight instructor here in Hillsboro, Oregon out of the Twin Oaks Air Park. I'm also known on YouTube as the Northwest Aeronaut. You can find us on there by just searching Northwest Aeronaut on YouTube or going to youtube.com backslash Northwest Aeronaut. I want to thank you for joining me for my very first episode, and I thought today I would take the opportunity to introduce myself so you can get to know me, know my uh, background and uh, how I got into aviation, and uh, also tell you how I did all of my flight training for roughly $40,000. It's uh, a little bit higher than that, uh, to be honest, probably, and um, in all fairness, I, I didn't keep perfect record, so I'm not sure exactly how much, but it was right between forty dollars and $45,000. So we're going to talk about that because, of course, as we all know, one of the hardest things in doing flight training is just figuring out how to pay for it. So I'm going to tell you how I paid for it out of pocket, no loans, uh, no debt, and did it all within just a couple years Um, So that hopefully you guys can get some ideas yourselves on how to do this as affordably and as efficiently as possible, while at the same time getting the highest level of training as possible. So let's get into it. Uh, First of all, I uh, grew up with aviation. Well, actually, my dad and mom both met skydiving. Um, So from from the start, I was uh, conceived as uh, an air baby, I guess. (laughs) But... uh, Uh, My dad is an aeronautical engineer. He went to MIT uh, for aeronautical engineering, and uh, he has uh, taught aerodynamics and and taught uh, at uh, San Jose State University. He has um, been a flight instructor for longer than I've been alive, and uh, currently he flies for a Part 135 uh, wheels up as a private charter pilot flying the Beach Jet 400 or Hawker 400, and so I've always uh, I've always kind of followed in my dad's footsteps with a, a lot of things I've I've done either just as hobbies or professionally. Um, you know, I, I for better or for worse, I probably owe a lot of uh, the course of my life um, to his influence, uh, starting with music. He uh, played violin throughout college, and uh, I started playing violin when I was in fourth grade. I played violin from fourth grade through uh, seventh grade or so, and then in high school, I took up drums, and uh, percussion became a huge part of my life, specifically marching percussion. I taught marching band um, as well as drum corps and participated in the activity for over 15 years, and it still holds a very near and dear uh, spot in my heart. So uh, marching percussion was huge for me uh, throughout high school and my 20s, and then I went to college for culinary. 
school. I went to uh, get my culinary uh, management degree, uh, my bachelor's in culinary management. I went to the Le Cordon Bleu School in Scottsdale, Arizona, the Scottsdale Culinary Institute, and uh, got my bachelor's degree there. Went on to work for some great restaurants um, in San Francisco. I did uh, kind of my externship in the in the city there. Got to work for some great seafood restaurants. I was really big into seafood. Uh, came back to Arizona, worked for the Fairmont uh, Resort, and um, was really just having a, a good time doing that. Um, and then there just wasn't a lot of advancement opportunities in, in the position I was in, and I was looking for that next step. One thing you need to know about me is I'm, I get bored easily, and I always need a new challenge, and I always need something to pursue. And so as a result, I, I, it's hard for me to kind of stick to one thing for too long because I just get bored. And so while I was loving cooking, um, the fact that there wasn't a lot of advancement opportunities in my current location uh, meant that I needed to look for new opportunities. And I had taken up photography as a hobby at the time, decided, um, I, and I came across a ad for a photography studio that was opening in Scottsdale, not too far from actually where my school was, just down the road. And I thought it might be fun. They were just looking for seasonal help. And I thought it might be fun to just apply because the the idea was I was going to, if I got this job, I was going to take a break from cooking, do this seasonal work for a few months while I looked for another chef's job. And uh, sure enough, I did get the job and uh, started learning a lot about photography, uh, portrait photography. We were doing high school seniors primarily. Um, and I made uh, or I met my best friend, Andrew. Um, hi, Andrew. And uh, anyway, basically, in, in getting this job, I, I was looking for that chef's job at the time. And then come uh, the end of the season for photography, they asked me to stay on longer. They asked me to stay on permanently if I wanted to. And so I just never really found that another chef's job. I just stayed on at the uh, studio and photography kind of became my new uh, my new muse and my life. And up to this day, I've been a professional commercial photographer, uh, portrait and commercial photographer for over a decade now. So um, I uh, photography took me a lot of uh, amazing places and, and gave me a lot of amazing opportunities. Um, I was a national field trainer uh, for the largest photography company um, in the country, I think, if not the world. I don't know, Life Touch. You might have heard of it. If you any of you have kids, you know Life Touch from taking uh, the school photos. And uh, so I was traveling around the country, uh, meeting a lot of great people, and I was in charge of developing their on-location photography program. And uh, through my local professional photography organization, the Oregon Professional Photographers Association, I uh, also made great friends and contacts. I was on the board there for seven years um, in all types of roles, including their president. Um, so I, I owe so much to everybody who I met throughout uh, photography and uh, who are still my very, very good friends to this day. So what about aviation? Where does aviation come in in all this? Well, 
Let's go back to 2002, I believe. I, 2000, actually, no, 99. 99 is when I had my first logbook entry and my dad started teaching me how to fly. Don't remember the circumstances uh, that led up to him teaching me. I don't know if I asked or if he just offered or, or whatever, uh, what have you, but either way, you know, I, I always did fly with my dad. I love flying with my dad. We took family trips down to see the grandparents. Um, and so it was always thing, a thing I loved doing. But uh, in 1999, when I was 14, he gave me my first official lesson and, and we logged my first official flight. And um, from there, I did intermittent lessons throughout the years, um, 99 through 2002 or so. And um, I started getting really serious about flight training in 2002 when I was uh, 16 uh, or turning 17. So I started doing um, training more consistently, not with my dad, but with another flight instructor here out of Hillsboro. Um, And uh, with the help of a good family friend at the time who was helping me financially with it, because of course as a 16, 17 year old, I did not have the means to pay for any of this. So I was very fortunate to have someone helping me out with that. And, um, and so I started training and uh, flying more consistently in a Cessna 152. And from there, I uh, actually did get to my first solo. I, I soloed on April, oh, I'd have to check my logbook, but in April of 2003 at the age of 17. Um, and uh, my mom came out and watched, and I actually have some photos that uh, are somewhere. But uh, that was, I remember that day vividly. I wish I had the uh, technology resources we have today so I could have had a GoPro in the plane with me. I uh, could have filmed it. it. You know, it's always um, something I wish that I could look back on a little bit more clearly. But all I got is memories and a couple photos, and and I do treasure those. But shortly after that, um, as I was kind of getting into my cross-country phase of training, um, you know, life kind of happened, funding kind of disappeared a little bit, and also I was focused on percussion. I was doing uh, marching band, drum corps. Uh, That was really my passion at the time, um, and just other high school things. So um, aviation ended up taking a back seat at that time. And it wasn't until, fast forward, um, 2019 that I got back into it. Now, I'd never lost uh, the love for doing it. And, you know, I knew come, come 2019, I, I always continuously had these dreams. I had these vivid dreams of being in the plane and, and going out to the airport and, uh, and taking the plane up and just wanting to do it again. Um, and 2019 was kind of a transition year for me. Um, like I said, I get bored easily and photography, I was getting a little bit burnt out on photography, um, in my business and was just kind of looking for, I wasn't actively looking to get out of photography at all. And, and I'm still not, I still do photography, but I was looking for new inspirations and, and something new, a new way I could apply photography or, or a new pursuit that I could supplement photography with. And I remember, I, I, I don't remember the exact chain of, of events, but, uh, you know, I was looking into being a 
911 dispatcher because I, I just thought that was cool. And I had found a, an ad that they were hiring. And I went and I started actually doing all the testing and the bunch of interviews. And I was doing really well. I think they really wanted to hire me. And I'm sure I could have done it. I'm sure I could have been great at it. Um, but uh, I even sat in on one of their shifts. Uh, yeah, I did a little shadow, uh, you know, I forget what they call it. But I sat in with one of the 911 shifts. It was a very eye-opening uh, experience to see that kind of behind the scenes. Uh, ultimately, though, I found out that should I get hired, I'd have to do like a two-week stint at the police academy. They actually have their uh, their 911 dispatchers go to the police academy for two weeks. And that's not something that unfortunately, unfortunately, I wasn't going to be able to do that uh, because of my home life with my dogs uh, and my wife. I couldn't be away for two weeks like that. So unfortunately, I was I had to uh, pass up that opportunity. And in the meantime, I had actually taken just a part time job as a security officer. Uh, never had done any type of security work in my life. Um I was just kind of looking for something, again, to supplement photography at the time while I kind of figured things out. I wanted something that was more or less mindless that I could just do, not have to um, to, to kind of give myself a mental break. Because as any business owner knows, there's a lot of mental anguish that goes into constantly um figuring out where that next paycheck's coming from, how to innovate, how to stand out. And I needed a break from from that, the mental side of things. I love doing the the actual photography, but I needed a break from the mental things. And I needed to be able to just have something that would give me an income um, uh, and supplement the photography I was doing, but I could kind of relax a bit and figure out where I wanted to go. And um, so... As I'm doing the security job, you know, they, it just, I, I decided, and again, I don't even really remember the circumstances uh, that it came about or what, you know, what, when the moment was that it just clicked for me that, hey, I want to start flying again. But between the dreams and just, you know, always wanting to be able to do it, at some point I just decided, yeah, I'm going to start flying again. And I called up my old instructor, uh, Jason. I doubt, you know, I, I I was pretty sure he wasn't still instructing. It's been at that point uh, 16 or so years since since we had uh, last seen each other. But I called him up and, and just saw if he was. And of course he wasn't. He's uh, working for uh, Alaska now. But he did um, point me in the direction of Twin Oaks, which I was uh, very familiar with already. Um, my dad had done some flying out of Twin Oaks when he lived here locally, and and I knew uh, the Starks uh, previously, but uh, I got reconnected with them and got connected with a flight instructor who just happened to be an old high school buddy of mine. Uh, shout out to Mike Woodson. Uh, we were actually in band together. We did marching band, and uh, he was a year or I forget if he was just one or two years ahead of me, but uh, we were in band together. He played trumpet. Uh, with his brother as well, was a musician, I believe, and um, his twin brother. And of course, I was in percussion. So anyway, we went back to high school and and, uh, I had a recollection that he had been interested in aviation at the time. You know, we never talked about it or anything, but I, I do remember hearing that he had been interested in aviation. So it was cool to reconnect with him. And I started working with him 
on my private certificate. Now, up to this point in the past, I had logged, you know, about 30 hours or so of flight instruction and, of course, had soloed um, back in 2003 and probably had about six, four to six hours of solo time at that point. I don't remember exactly. But, uh, you know, I I knew things would come back pretty quickly um, and they did. But it was definitely a surreal feeling getting back in the plane after all those years, getting up there and... um, you know, I still have uh, the video of it, and, and maybe at some point I'll share some clips of my first flight back. Uh, you can go on YouTube and see my first second solo, <laughs> or my second first solo, yeah, my second first solo um, when I soloed again for the first time um, after coming back to it in 2019. So uh, Mike and I worked together, and uh, we started in uh, no September of 2019, and uh you know, I was paying out of pocket again, um, but I was able to get through my training and was able to take my check ride in March of 2020, right before the pandemic. So it was actually the week of the pandemic starting that I took my check ride. Um, and uh, so it was good timing, um, but um, it kind of delayed the start of my instrument training from there a little bit. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I kept flying though, uh, from there and I did start my instrument training fairly soon after. In the meantime, you know, I, I got checked out in the 172s cause I had done my training in a 150. I also started flying the RV 12. Um, so I was getting checked out in some of the other planes and, um, so I did my instrument training and between the, pandemic, uh, causing delays with training and just, you know, the time building that goes into the instrument rating, needing to get that 50 hours of cross-country PIC time and the 40 hours of hood time. I uh, didn't get to take my instrument check ride until, I wasn't ready for it until November. I took my initial part of my check ride in November of 2020 and had to discontinue the flight portion for weather. And it wasn't until a month later that I was able to uh, take that flight portion. So I got my instrument rating in December of 2020 and went on to uh, commercial training and, and just time building for that. The time building when it comes to Part 61 training is certainly one of the uh, more challenging aspects of uh, flight training and uh, and financing flight training. Because uh, you need to get up to that 250 hours total time. And by the time I finished my instrument rating, um, I was probably, I think, around 160, somewhere over, somewhere just over 150 perhaps. Uh, but I had just under 100 hours to build. And uh, figuring out how to do that uh, was going to be a challenge. And that's actually what we're going to talk about here um, in a second. But uh to finish out the timeline, I was able to get my check ride done for my commercial by that next summer, by June of 2021. And, uh, you know, I've always been proactive in setting goals and setting dates for my next rating. And I encourage all my students to do this as well because it's so easy to just let time go on and on and on. And before you know it, a year has gone by or two years has gone by. And unless you have a date on the calendar 
to aim for and to keep yourself accountable, uh, you're going to take a lot of a lot longer to get things done um, than you will otherwise. So, you know, I scheduled my check ride for my commercial like three months out and uh, had the date in June picked out way early on, um, knowing that you know that I would have to get the time building done in that time. So um, I was able to get it done by June, and then I started immediately working on uh, CFI stuff. I had actually kind of started just working on some CFI stuff prior to finishing my commercial because I knew that was always my my goal. Um, I've always loved teaching. Teaching has always been a big part of everything and anything I've done, whether it's uh, percussion, when I taught drum corps, marching band, whether it's cooking. Um, I actually worked in the restaurant for my school. So not only was I like the sous chef for the restaurant, because at the culinary school, the uh, there's a restaurant that is actually a class for the students. So the students uh, come through every three weeks, a new group of students, and they run the restaurant, which is open to the public. So um, I was the sous chef there, but also a teacher. Uh, I taught a new set of students every three weeks as they came through. And um, so I did that, and then come photography, you know, throughout my, my over over a decade now uh, long of a career in photography, I've had the opportunity to teach on the national level um, and uh, across many states. And of course, my whole job with LifeTouch was being a trainer and teaching people how not, not only to teach them how to do this photography um, out on location, but I actually developed that whole program. And of course, I had a great team of people uh, working with me on it. But um, but I've just always loved training and teaching and sharing my my knowledge and experiences to help others on their journey. So it was only a natural progression that I was going to be teaching aviation. Um, so I started working on my CFI right uh, hardcore once I finished my commercial, and again scheduled my check ride pretty much right after I finished my commercial. Um, I scheduled it, I forget exactly when, but I, I scheduled it ultimately for September and, um, and yeah, I became a certificated flight instructor on September 20th, 2021. Uh, the day after I finished my CFI, I scheduled my CFII, uh, check ride for a month later and I just started working on my CFII. And knocked that out. Uh, got that done October twenty second of twenty twenty one. So that was um, my progression there through those ratings. And then the plan was to get my multi engine add on um, in twenty twenty two. And uh, and I didn't really have a, a hard timeline for when that was. I wanted to save up a little bit of money, but I was going to get the multi engine add on and then get my multi engine instructor rating. And as it turned out throughout the whole year, basically from February on throughout 2022, uh, our multi-trainer, our Apache at Twin Oaks was in Montana getting an overhaul, getting a whole kind of makeover. Um, So I wasn't able to get it done. The plan was to get it done that summer um, and it it didn't happen because we didn't have a plane. Uh, so I had to wait until the plane came back. It it finally came back in late October, early November of 2022, uh, right in time for the weather to get bad. So um, fast forward a few months, 
And uh, uh, I just finished my multi-engine add-on back in March. Um, I was going to wait till we had some reliably good weather because I wanted to make sure that I could knock it out quickly and not have to pay extra money. And this is part of what we'll talk about uh, here in a second when it comes to the financial side of things. But uh, I, you know, I didn't want to wait till summer, so I just rolled the dice as far as the weather was concerned. Um, got fairly lucky. I didn't have too many delays due to weather, and um, and was able to get it done fairly quickly. Um, and then, as I'm recording this now, I am actually preparing to take my multi-engine instructor checkride this coming week. Um, and so hopefully by the time you're hearing this, I will have that done. I was supposed to take it this past week when the weather was absolutely gorgeous. But of course, things rarely go as planned in aviation. And uh, we had to reschedule due to uh, the examiner's availability. So my perfect checkride day, uh, I had to watch pass by. Um, and now I'm rescheduled for a day that is less than ideal this coming week. But hopefully... It will still be flyable, and I'll be able to get it done. <clears throat> All right, so that's the timeline, and uh, now let's talk about the finances and what I did throughout the process to keep this training uh, under or, or right around forty to forty-five thousand dollars. So, for my private, first of all, um, first of all, I should I should put out there, of course, times change. And even in these past few years, prices have gone up. Of course, the pandemic didn't, didn't help. The uh, um, uh, supply chain shortage didn't help. All these things didn't help. Inflation. So prices have gone up pretty significantly since I did my private. Um, the 150s that I learned on are now about $30 more per hour than they were just four years ago. So these numbers might not translate directly um, in, in this day and age. However, I know there are, and depending on where you are in the country, you still can find prices along these lines. Um, however, prices or, or numbers aside, yes, finding a good, a good solid price is important, but numbers aside, it's these the techniques and the, um, the strategies that I'm going to share with you that are really going to make a difference in how much you ultimately spend on flight training. Um, and that's what I want you to take away from this. So I was paying about $90 an hour, 94 maybe, um, for the Cessna 150 throughout my private. And even though I had already logged about 30 or so hours previously, um, I ended up logging close to another 40 um, before I took my private check ride. So I, I have the whole breakdown of my private expenses. Um, and let me see if I can look those up real quick. So I, I kept really pretty good records of my private flying expenses throughout the process. And then I fell off. After that, I didn't keep as close to records. Um, so everything after private is going to be an estimation, but a pretty good estimation. All right, let me see what I got here for my flying expenses for my private pilot. For my private pilot, uh, from the time I started again, 
it looks like I was about uh, just under 40 hours uh, additional, in addition to my uh, 30 I already logged, you know, 16 years prior. Um, so a total of about 70 hours or so. Um, but uh, I spent uh, $6,062.30 for my private pilot certificate. So yeah, that was 40 hours of flight training. And it was... Uh, how many hours of instruction? Well, let me just give you the breakdown. The 40 hours of flight training was about $4,325. And then the instruction was $2,242. Oh, so the actual, actually my total looks like to be about $6,568. It's about $6,500 is what my private costs, okay? And so while you might be hard-pressed to get that these days, it's certainly not impossible. And again, the the techniques that I'm going to be sharing with you is what's really important. When it comes to your private, there's not much technique-wise that you can do other than make sure you are as prepared for each lesson as possible. The more you can study at home, the more you can chair fly. And by chair fly, you can be at home doing it in a chair, just thinking about the picture in your head. You could have a printout of the cockpit in front of you. You could be on the simulator practicing procedures and, uh, and getting a feel for um, you know those, those uh, flows that you're going to be using in the plane. Or you could be sitting at the airport inside the plane on the ground with the engine off. Um, it's something I encourage all my students to do all the time, but the more you can do that while the engine is not running, while the clock is not ticking and while you're not spending money, when you actually do get in the plane for your lesson, things will go so much smoother and you will ultimately require less time getting, uh, proficient at those skills, uh, and you will save money that way. So while the hard costs might be uh, more and less negotiable, um, especially for private, uh, the way you manage your time and your training can make a lot of difference in how much you ultimately spend on your flight training. All right, once you get your private, it becomes a lot easier to save some money because, of course, you're going to need to be doing some time building. And once you have your private, you can split that time building with another pilot. I have a video on my YouTube channel that discusses how to do this properly. And uh, I'll put that link in the description here. And basically, when it comes to instrument training, as a Part 61 student, you need 50 hours of cross-country PIC time along with 40 hours of simulated or actual instrument experience. Now, the three hours or whatever time you spent during your private uh, training doing instrument work, all of that counts towards that 40 hours. Um, And when it comes to sharing expenses or splitting time with other pilots, 
you're not actually saving money on the time you're building for the instrument rating. Now, let me explain that. When you split time with another pilot and you're going to do this uh, by, let's say, flying across country, uh, so over 50 miles away from your home airport, one of you is going to be under the hood at all times. So one of you will be under the hood flying off instruments. One of you will be a safety pilot who's responsible for collision avoidance. When you're doing that, only the person at the controls, the person under the hood, can log the cross-country time. The safety pilot can only log the PIC time. Okay? And we'll come back to why that's still a good thing here in a second. So the person under the hood is logging simulated instrument time and they're logging cross-country PIC time, both of which you need for your instrument rating. That's great. The person who is safety pilot is not logging either of those, but on the return leg, you guys would switch. And then the person who was safety pilot will now be flying and they will log some cross country and they will log some simulated instrument time. So why is this helpful? Well, number one, when you're doing this, you're not having to pay for an instructor. The regulations only require a minimum of 15 hours of actual instruction from a CFII uh, for your instrument rating. But the rest of this time, the rest of this instrument time can be done with a safety pilot or even in a simulator uh, up to a certain degree. So you're saving money on the instructor, number one. Number two, for anyone planning to go on to their commercial rating after their instrument rating, that commercial rating requires 250 hours of total time. As safety pilot, you are building PIC time towards your total time. So all of that time will go towards your commercial requirements and you're paying half price for it. So while you're not getting much of a discount short of saving money on an instructor, when it comes to your actual instrument rating, you are saving a ton of money for your overall time building towards commercial at almost half the price. Technically, it's not exactly half, but it's close enough if you're splitting it down the middle, okay? So I did that a ton with different people throughout my instrument rating uh, to build those hours, and that was crucial for me to be able to afford to do it, okay? Now, I'll also mention, I was just very lucky as a side note, like I said, I had never done security or anything. I don't even remember exactly. I think I just came across this job posting for a security officer. I wasn't even technically eligible to be hired, but somehow I got hired and <laughs> it all worked out. But I was very lucky. Uh, you know, the stars kind of aligned for me because as soon as, you know, I got that job right before the pandemic started. And as soon as the pandemic hit, of course, things like photography pretty much came to a halt. So this security got, job got me through the pandemic when I wasn't able to do photography and uh, ultimately allowed me to continue flight training. Um, so uh, I was still on, on, a, on a budget, and that's why doing this, this time splitting with other pilots was the only way I could make this work um, as cheaply as possible. So 
now we get to our commercial rating. And I, again, by the time I finished my instrument, had about 100 hours, maybe just a little less than 100 hours that I had to build um, in what was amounting to about the time period of six months. You know, I got my instrument in December 2020, 2020 and I wanted to have my commercial done by June. So I gave myself kind of six months to finish this time building and be ready for my check ride. And again, I was going to be splitting time with other pilots. I was very fortunate to come across a flying club uh, locally um, that uh, rented 150s all around the area. And the owner... Uh, a great guy named John, and you know I owe a lot to John for helping me throughout this this time um, in this time building part because this this particular flying club is a time building club. Uh, that's kind of what they they base their their whole thing on. They have a bunch of one fifties and they give it to pilots for time building. So uh, we pay dry rates, meaning that we have to pay for our own fuel, but the rate for just the plane we are paying fifty five an hour usually for the plane uh, plus wherever we could find fuel. However, it just so happened in April of 2021, John decided he was going to throw a a promotion, if you will, uh, in preparation for the summer flying season. And he was going to offer to a handful of pilots who were interested, um, of which I was one, the opportunity to fly up to 100 hours in the month of April in the Cessna 150 for only $700 flat rate. Okay, so 700 bucks, fly as much as you want up to 100 hours. Now, you probably don't even need to do be good at math <laughs> to know that that sounds like a, one heck of a deal, and it was. Now, I ultimately didn't get to 100 hours. Only one person did, um, and that's because he didn't have a job and he had nothing better to do but to just fly every day with everyone else. <laughs> so uh, good on you, Cameron. But uh, but no, me and my buddy Cameron, um, we flew a lot. I ultimately was able to fly 50 hours that month, which, you know, as a flight instructor now, 50 hours a month is a slow month for me. <laughs> so, uh, but as a, as a student uh, pilot paying for it out of pocket um, where, you know, most student pilots, you might be lucky if you fly four hours in a month. So to get 50 hours done in a month for me was unbelievable. And um, it actually put me right at the 250 mark by the end of the month for, for my commercial certificate. So, I was very fortunate to get that opportunity, and I know those types of things don't come around much, but even if you can just find a plane at, at what would have been full price um, for that club, which is 55 an hour dry. So 55 an hour dry, at the time, fuel again was cheaper, um, so we could have flown it wet for about 80 bucks an hour, give or take, uh, 80 to 90 bucks an hour. If you do that and you can split that time with another pilot, you're only paying 40 to 45 bucks an hour, which is significantly cheaper than, of course, paying the full 90 yourself or paying for something more expensive up to, you know, 
an hour for other planes. Okay, so it can be done for uh, an efficient and an affordable price um, and and it can be done out of pocket. And the biggest thing that I try to deter people from doing is taking out loans for flight training. I took out loans for my culinary school and if I could go back and do it again, I absolutely would never do that. Not that I regret anything about my experience at culinary school. It was great, but I did not get a return on that investment ultimately, and very few people did. Uh, So I don't want to see people make the same mistakes I did in that regard. I encourage people, do whatever you can to not take loans out for flight training. Work a second job, drive Uber, deliver DoorDash, whatever you have to do to pay for, you know, that one, even if it's just one lesson per week, okay? One lesson per week at an affordable, with an affordable plane, you know, that's maybe 250 bucks, 200 to 250 bucks, depending on, you know, where you are, what plane you're in, the lesson. But if you can make just an extra 200 bucks a week doing some sort of side gig, There's no reason you shouldn't be able to pay out of pocket for flight training. Will it take you a little longer? Absolutely. But will it take you too long? Obviously, that's relative. But no, I mean, I did it and it only took me two years, basically, to go from starting out again uh, for my private pilot all the way to CFI. Less than two years uh, actually, yeah, I know it was about two years exactly from the time I started up again to CFI. Okay. Um, so I was able to get my hours done for CFI, um, and, or not for CFI, for commercial, all 250 hours. C- cost breakdown, you know, for my private, again, I spent about $6,500. Commercial or uh, instrument, uh, between the time building and instruction, um, I think I was right around a uh, right around the same price, 6500 7000 or so for instrument. And then for commercial, um, obviously, the opportunity I had that we just talked about saved me a bunch of money, but I was able to do my whole commercial, including the time building, for, again, around six to 8000 somewhere in there, six to seven, 7000 I don't know, some, somewhere around there. So from private through commercial, if you're doing the math, we're around eighteen to twenty thousand dollars. Okay, um, somewhere around there. CFI, you know, I spent. Different people are are different when it comes to getting their CFI, and it really depends on what your experience is coming into it. But you know, for the time that I had to fly to get used to the right seat and to get the training. Um, from, from my own CFI at the time, uh, I ended up probably spending about three, well, probably about four to $5,000, I think, over the course of three months to get my CFI, okay? about I think it was maybe about five. So that, let's just say that puts us at $25,000. Again, um, a month, you know, over the course of the next month, I got my CFII. And I, again, I don't remember exactly how much that was, um, but it wasn't more than 5,000. I know that. 
So let's just say that for CFII, I was around $30,000. 30, maybe a little bit more. Again, I don't have all these solid numbers. But CFII, somewhere around $30,000. So now come to today. After getting my multi-add-on and ultimately finishing up my MEI here, I, I'm going to be putting out a full video recap of my multi-training and my tips and tricks for making multi-add-ons uh, efficient and uh, and affordable. But basically for my multi-add-on and my MEI, I'm only spending $8,000 for both of them. I was able to keep my multi add-on under 4,000 and my MEI here again with time building um, and instruction because you have to have 15 hours of PIC time to do your instructor add-on for multi. Um, so me and my friend Nick again went out and we did time building in the multi uh, and split that cost in half. But I was able to do all that and, and, and we'll be finishing out my MEI here for about $4,000. So all of that put together, eight thousand for that plus the thirty or so, maybe thirty to thirty-five tops uh, to get to my CFII. We're right around forty thousand dollars. Okay, and again, that's uh, I would say it's between forty and forty-five thousand that I spent total. Okay, uh, so the things that I want you to take away from this is number one. Find people to share expenses with. Split time. Be a safety pilot. Not only does it save you guys money, it makes you a better pilot because you're getting, I mean, obviously you need the instrument experience for your instrument rating, but even above and beyond that, getting that extra instrument time just makes you a better instrument pilot. And don't necessarily, you know, do cross countries, go places, see new things, but also Use that time to actually practice your instrument skills and, and exercise those instrument muscles, fly approaches, um, you know, do things like that into new places. Uh, and just being a safety pilot also makes you a better pilot because it gives you a whole new kind of appreciation and understanding for the type of awareness you need to have as a pilot uh, for, for what's going on around you, okay? That situational awareness. Um, so... That's that's number one. And then number two, make sure you're being efficient with your flight training and doing your homework on the ground. The more prepared you are going into a flight lesson because you have chair flown, because you've practiced on a simulator, because you've done the required reading, or you've watched YouTube videos, all those things can help prepare you more so that when you get into the actual plane, you're not trying to just keep up. You are staying up. Uh, you're staying with the airplane. You know what to expect. And it's just a matter at that point of exercising the actual motor skills um, and getting the, the feel of the aircraft in your hands. But you know, you know it at a conceptual level. You know the concepts. You know the procedures. I can't stress enough how important just knowing the procedures, being able to recite them off in your sleep, how much time that saves. 
when it comes to landing, being able to just recite the pre-landing checklist by memory. It should take you no, le- no more than five seconds to run through a pre-landing checklist by memory. But when you are struggling to get through that simple checklist and then at the same time losing track of what the airplane is doing, now we're going the wrong direction, we're losing altitude, we're gaining airspeed, you're, you're, you're fumbling through this simple checklist and it's taking you 20 or 30 seconds and now our pattern is all off and now you're not set up good for a, for a good approach and it's just going to make learning to land that much harder. So know those procedures, know the flows and checklists, be able to recite them in your sleep so that when you get in the plane, that's not the thing you're thinking about. That's just a part of the process that you're performing, but you're able to focus and think about the actual controlling of the aircraft and learning the those those physical motor skills because the motor skills are the things you can't really practice anywhere else except the plane. So that's how I did all my flight training for right around $40,000 and it was some of the best quality training you could find uh, anywhere in the country. We have great instructors and a great um, support system at Twin Oaks. We got great people, great airplanes. Find that type of environment for your flight training. Find an instructor that will work with you and that you connect with and and then be efficient, be on top of your studies, um, and then share time with other pilots because you build these relationships with them over time. You guys are going through the same things at the same time, and, uh, and those are connections and friendships you'll make for life. So guys, thank you so much for joining me today for this first episode of On Centerline Podcast. I am so excited for this new chapter and uh, be sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram. Those links will be in the description below. And uh, I really look forward to having you guys on the show with me. I want to be talking to you. I want to hear about your experiences. I want to hear about the challenges you face, about the lessons you've learned. And I want us to be able to come together as a community to really discuss Again, all these things that that we all deal with, but never really get talked about um, so that we can really um, commiserate with each other and let everyone know that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones going through these these challenging uh, times, these challenges. They're not the only ones fighting with finances um, or weather delays or medicals. Um, So I want to hear your stories. If you're interested in being on the show with me, uh, shoot me a note. You can email me at northwestaeronaut at gmail.com. You can private message me on Instagram um, and uh, let me know. Love to have you on the show. And I'll see you next time on Centerline.